On Easter Sunday, we hear the account of those first appearances of the resurrected Christ. This morning, we hear yet another experience that people had with the risen Christ. He started appearing to different disciples, and sometimes it took a moment before people realized that this was, in fact, Jesus appearing to them. So hear these words from the gospel account of the risen Christ meeting some disciples on the road to Emmaus. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, What are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? Jesus said to them, What things? They said to him, The things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then... He interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going ahead, but they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them after he took his seat at the table with, with them. He took the bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, The Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. 
our rock, our redeemer, and the risen Christ. Amen. I want to tell you about a TV show that my husband Joel and I have been watching recently. It is not a new TV show. It's a TV show from the early 2000s that showed on CBS. It's called Joan of Arcadia. Have any of you heard of this show? Ooh, more of you this service than last service. That's good. My husband Joel introduced me to it this past year. We got it on DVD from the local library. And it's a show about an American high school student named Joan. And she's part of an average Midwestern family. Joan's dad is a cop. Her mom works at the school. She's got two brothers. They both have their own backstories. But for the most part, Joan is an average kind of teenager. Except that God speaks to Joan. God speaks to Joan. And the first time Joan encounters God the first time she talks with God, God looks like a young white guy. Maybe in his late teens, his early 20s, he's not dressed up, but his clothing's pretty nice. He's clean-shaven. His hair is, is taken care of. He's pretty well-kempt. And Joan wants nothing to do with him because, of course, if you or I met somebody on the street claiming to be God, we might be a little bit skeptical. And Joan was, too. It took a few conversations and numerous times of follow-up by this man until she said, okay, well, let's say you are God. Then what? And the young man says to Joan, here's the thing, I am God, but I don't look like this. I don't look like anything that you'd recognize. I don't sound like this. I don't sound like anything you'd recognize. I'm beyond your experience. I take this form because you're comfortable with it. It makes sense to you. And Joan says, okay, so do you just go appearing to people? And God says, minor correction, I'm not appearing to you, you're seeing me. I'm not appearing to you, you're seeing me. The implication being God was always there. It's just now that Joan is able to recognize it. Now, Joan is not crazy. Other people can see these strangers that she's talking to who are God. God looks like somebody different every single time, but other people can see these people. It's just Joan who knows that the stranger talking to her is divine. And so Joan asks God, why am I the only one who can see you? Why am I the only one that you're talking to? And God says, well, let's just say I have some errands for you to do. God continues to meet Joan in different forms throughout the TV show. At one point, Joan encounters God in her school cafeteria and God is a middle-aged black woman. At one point, Joan encounters God as an older white man who's making repairs to a telephone pole. At another point, she's on a playground, and God is a small little blonde girl with Coke bottle glasses who comes up and says, Joan, you're an instrument of God. And every time God appears, the audience knows that Joan has something she needs to do typically the purpose of which she does not understand and she wouldn't normally do, that will positively influence the life of somebody else around her. Maybe it's somebody she knows quite well, but maybe it's somebody she's never met before. And sometimes God gives her very explicit instructions like, Joan, you need to join the debate team. Or, Joan, you need to try out for the cheerleading team. Or, Joan, you need to go talk to that kid sitting by themselves over at that lunch table. Sometimes it's that detailed. 
But there are also times when God is much more vague with Joan, and I don't know about you, but I identify with that. Sometimes we don't know exactly what God wants us to do. We just know the general direction that we're supposed to head in, and things fall into place after that. Sometimes in the TV show, Joan follows through on those things she's intended to do. Sometimes she does not. Even though Joan continually encounters God, she doesn't always recognize that it's God that she's meeting because it's not every stranger that she runs into every time. In fact, one time she has an encounter where she thinks a stranger on the street is God and it is just some weird man that she met on the street, not God at all. And so she has, uh, it takes her a couple beats each time she encounters God to realize, oh, this, this is in fact the creator I'm talking to. But it's gotten to the point where as an audience uh, member, as somebody watching this show, I'll start talking to the TV and I say, man, Joan, don't you recognize that person is God? That's clearly God talking to you right now in, that, in the form of that stranger. But it's like Joan is too involved in her own drama and angst and worry and whatever else is going on in her life that she can't quite take the time to notice that God is standing right in front of her, let alone listen to whatever God might be trying to tell her. But really, who can blame Joan for not recognizing God being right in front of her? It happened to some of Jesus' closest disciples in the Bible. Jesus appears to them in a form they do not recognize while they're walking from Jerusalem to the city of Emmaus. These are people who had met Jesus in person. They'd already heard these rumors of the resurrection of the risen Christ appearing to people, but they just weren't able to make the leap to say, Maybe this is Jesus walking with me. Now, Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. It would have taken them maybe two and a half hours to three hours to to walk that distance, depending on how fast they were walking. So they spent quite a bit of time with this stranger who appears and walks with them. It's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And he starts to ask them about recent events, and they scoff. They're like, have you been hiding under a rock for the past week? How can you not know what's happened. And then they proceed to tell Jesus his own story. They said, Jesus Christ, he was killed on the cross, but three days later, today, the tomb was empty, and women arrived and were told by an angel that he had been risen from the dead. The disciples are too involved in what's happened in the past and their own experience and their own worries and their own journey to Emmaus. They don't notice that they're walking with Jesus Christ himself. And at this point in the journey, at this point in the conversation, Jesus interjects and he says, um, he starts to tell them about the wisdom of Scripture. He starts with the prophets and Moses and he moves all the way to what we would call the New Testament. And he's sharing all these amazing things and the disciples still are not able to recognize that this is the presence of God in their midst, sharing this wisdom with them. And as readers, we're let in on the secret. Verse 15 of the scripture, we're told that Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But it's a lot like watching that TV show I've been telling you about, Joan of Arcadia, where we're kind of on the outside looking in saying, can't you see that this is the presence of God right now? Can't you see it? But they can't. They don't. They don't recognize the presence of God in their traveling companion. It's not until the end of the day, it's not until they give an invitation to Christ to stay with them and they share a meal together that they're able to see the presence of God. 
It's an invitation to God to stay with them, and it's this shared meal. They reach Emmaus, and they say, you know, the day is almost at the end. Why don't you not keep on traveling? Why don't you stay with us? Why don't you stay here with us? And then they invite him to the meal, and it's It's through this meal when Jesus blesses the bread and he breaks the bread and he shares the bread that suddenly their eyes are opened and they're able to see what we saw all along, that this is is Jesus Christ walking with them. Christ was always there, it's just now they're able to see it and to recognize it for what it is. And as soon as they recognize Jesus for who he is, poof, he's gone. Verse 31 says it this way, their eyes were opened and they recognized him but he disappeared from their sight. Christ is there the whole time, Scripture says, but they were prevented from recognizing him. They were prevented from recognizing him. Well, I think what prevented them from recognizing him, uh, what prevented Cleopas and the other disciple from recognizing the presence of God was their own preoccupation with the journey they were on, the story they were telling, where they were going, where they come from, their own angst and worries and things going on in their heads, the business of the day, the journey of the road, the stories that they were eager to tell, the story they were eager to tell to Jesus when he himself had lived it. They didn't have time to notice that Christ was on the road with them. I think that's what prevents them from recognizing Christ on their journey. And after Jesus leaves, they turn to one another and they say, weren't our hearts burning within us the entire time that he was talking? Weren't our hearts burning within us? Jesus was sharing wisdom with them. Their hearts were on fire. All the signs were in front of them that they were talking to the risen Christ, but they weren't able to recognize him. They weren't able to recognize him. I think they were too distracted to notice until that end of the day when they became refocused through the invitation to stay with them and the shared meal, the breaking of the bread. It's the invitation and it's the meal that allowed them to notice that Christ was with them. There's something sacred, there's something holy that happens when we break bread together. It sweeps away our distractions for just a moment when we invite the resurrected Christ to be part of our meal, part of our journey. Now, regardless of what we do, God will continue to show up in our midst. God will continue to offer us wisdom. God will continue to offer us signs of resurrection. The defining factor of whether we recognize that Christ is present or not is whether we've invited Christ to stay with us, and whether we take that time to share a meal. I often wonder how many times do we miss God's presence in our midst because we did not take the time to offer an invitation, maybe even to a stranger, or did not take the time to share a meal together. How many times did we miss seeing the risen Christ How many accounts are not written down in Scripture because the disciples didn't offer that invitation? When we share a meal with Christ, something powerful and transformative happens. And we can't just keep going the way we had intended to go. If you know these disciples in the story, Cleopas and his friend, they share this meal, they recognize Christ, 
and then they leave Emmaus. They were planning to stay there for a while, I would assume, but they turn and they run back to Jerusalem because they are so excited about the story that they have to tell. They've encountered Christ, and it changes their plans. It changes what they were going to do. It changes everything. And the amazing thing, when we encounter Christ's presence, we have these experiences, and it's not just about us. God's word, God's promise, presence, appearance, the sharing of the meal, it's about so much more than just us. Because when we invite Christ to join us, when God appears to us, when God stirs our hearts, there's always an invitation for us to act. When we invite Christ, Christ invites us to change our plans, to do something, to affect the lives of those around us. So Cleopas and his friend, they encounter God, they immediately get up and return to Jerusalem. They drop that plan of going to Emmaus in favor of telling the story, telling the resurrection story. Think about Joan of Arcadia from the TV show. Every time she encounters God, God has an errand or a task for her to undertake. And in the TV show, when God appears to Joan, it is never just about Joan. It's never just about her. It's always about what action she might take to influence the life of somebody else around her. And it's usually somebody she doesn't know or hasn't met or wouldn't normally associate with, and she doesn't always see the full impact of her actions. It's only God who knows the full impact of the good that she's been able to do. We find this model over and over again in Scripture, too. An encounter with God is an invitation to act, and it's always about more than the individual person that God is talking with. So when God appears to Moses in the form of the burning bush, the story is not just about Moses. I mean, it is about him. It's this personal encounter that he has with God, but through Moses, God is able to positively impact the lives of hundreds of thousands of people who were in slavery in Egypt. When God appears to Mary, and invites her to be the mother of Jesus Christ. It's not just about Mary. It is about her. It's about her personal encounter with God. But through Mary, God is able to influence the lives of millions, billions, trillions of people throughout history through the saving acts of Jesus Christ. When God makes David the king over all of Israel, it's not really about David. It is him. It is his personal story. But through him, when he's at his best, hundreds of thousands of people have their lives positively impacted because of God's grace and God's actions through him. When God appears to Cleopas and his friend in the story from Scripture on the road to Emmaus, that story is about so much more than Cleopas and his friend. It's about the story that they have to tell that 2,000 years later we are reading here in church today because they ran to tell somebody about it. And when God appears to us, The story is about so much more than just us. It is about us, and it is about that personal encounter that we have with Christ, but it's also about that work that we can do to positively influence the people around us in our world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that is a transformational thing. We encounter God so that we might be instruments of God's grace in this world. We encounter God so that we might offer some of Christ's presence to the strangers and the friends that we encounter afterward. We invite God to be part of our journey, knowing that God was always there all along, whether or not we had eyes to see it. 
We invite God to be part of the journey so that God can invite us to be part of his journey, to be instruments of grace for the people that we encounter. And sometimes God's invitation will be to turn around and tell the story, like Don and Shelley did for us this morning here about Adult Righteous Mission. Sometimes God will invite us to serve ourselves on a mission trip. You'll find information in the back about signing up for Adult Righteous Mission. Sometimes God will invite us to show kindness to a stranger, to love an enemy, to offer forgiveness. I don't know exactly what that thing is God might be inviting you to do, but you do. And you can do that thing that will have ramifications so far beyond you and whatever you are able to see. We invite God in to stay with us. We share a meal with Christ so that God might send us out into the world to act for the sake of Jesus Christ. So this morning we celebrate the sacrament of communion. This is a meal. This is a meal. We're going to invite Christ's presence to be among us, and we're going to share bread, and we're going to share grape juice. And we will invoke the power of the Holy Spirit here in this place over these gifts, and we will pray that this meal might help us to encounter Jesus Christ, to remember what he sacrificed, to receive the grace of God, to encounter the presence of the risen Christ. We pray that this meal, this sacrament of communion, which we're all going to partake of, would be a chance to refocus our hearts and our minds, to remember those moments when our hearts burned within us and we suspected that God was at work. Maybe we weren't able to see it or put a name on it, but we suspected because our hearts were burning within us. This meal is a chance to invite God to stay with us for a little while to invite Christ to journey with us. Christ is always there, but we need to constantly, constantly pause and refocus and reinvite. When we invite God, we'll recognize all those ways Christ already was at work in our journey and all those ways where God might be inviting us to take action. So may this meal that we share truly be a meal of invitation in which we invite Christ to stay with us, to walk with us. May this be a meal in which Christ invites us to do good work for the sake of Christ's world, in which we ask that our eyes might be opened so we can see Christ's presence among us, in which we listen to hear what words Christ might be trying to speak to us What direction might God be calling us in? In this meal, might we hear God's call to help a stranger, to do something nice for someone we haven't met, to take a step outside of our comfort zone for the sake of Christ in the world. Through the breaking of bread this morning, through our prayer, through our offering, through raising our voices in song, through leaving these doors and going out into the construction zone, having lunch, greeting whoever it might be that we find on the street. May we encounter the risen Christ. And may that encounter with Christ change whatever it is we're about to do next. Amen.